With traffic, errands, and parking, cars can be a chore. But a great car can be an adventure, a getaway, and a prized possession. Whatever your budget or family require, there's a car out there you'll love. We're here to help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Happy Tuesday, and thank you to all of you, many of you that responded to our Corvette piece that just played this past weekend. It premiered on Motor right, Trend. Yes, yes. C7 versus C8. Uh, I told you we were excited about it. And now many of you have said, that was an episode worth being excited about, which I'm glad. <laughs> hey, I, I'm glad that I'm just not off of the weeds somewhere just making up ideas, but I'm glad that that played. That is coming to Amazon and Vimeo soon and maybe other places as well. And while we're playing things, thank you to all of you that have actually subscribed to our new additional YouTube channel called Test Drive. The only way to get there really right now is to go to the Everyday Driver website, hit the YouTube tab, and click on it because the URL is gibberish until we get a 1,000 subscribers and a few other th- – YouTube's got a bunch of stuff we haven't had to do because our there's, channel's been around a yeah, while. There's requirements. So we still need to lean on you, still need your help. Yes, please subscribe, everydaydriver.com. And once you click YouTube, you'll see both channels actually. And so as Todd said, once we get to some th- certain thresholds – and again, this will be populated with the ongoing press cars that we receive from manufacturers. And thank you to all the manufacturers that continue to supply us with press cars because it really is – is research, mm-hmm. not just for doing the YouTube video itself, but also when we're talking to you guys and Absolutely. we're debating yeah. your debates yeah, yeah. here on the podcast. And you know, you guys want to know, hey, have you driven such and such car? And we'll use it for shopping research and possibly drive homework. I know that doesn't really translate to you going to actually drive the car for yourself, but well, we hope it, it could helps. help in yeah. the you know whittle the process down, narrow the process down, that kind of thing. So please support us on that. And also go to blipshift.com. We have mm-hmm. our own partner portal. If you go there and you can find the Everyday Driver portal and uh, find our merchandise there as well. For sure. Also, meanwhile, since our last podcast, we've done a lot. It feels like it was weeks <laughs> yeah, ago, but it's been have. like four days ago. I know. Because you and I did a track day in both our cars. You may have seen on Instagram that we did that. And then I actually have rented out the Lotus via DriveShare, which That's is a new cool. and odd experience. But it actually went to somebody that watches the show, actually, was my first rental. So that was kind of cool. So we had to do the whole handoff thing and work with the app. and all. It was very cool, actually. It worked out really well. But uh, it was still very odd. In and, what sense? And, well, because I rented out my car. Because your car drove we, away. It was it right. was nicer because I, I already knew Richard a little bit, and so that was great. So yeah, it yeah. softens the blow a little bit. But it was sure. still odd because, let's be honest, you hand your keys off. So Also, I said this to him. I said, by the way, that is my only key. He was like, oh, really? It's <laughs> like, sorry. It's just, it is? You know, I didn't realize that. I have I one key for that car. I didn't know that. Oh, yes. I also have one key for the Phaeton. I have a lot of my used right. cars that come with one key. I, but the good news right. is that it doesn't have a weird alarm anymore. So the, you know. Meanwhile, also, I drove the Phaeton today. Uh-huh. And for no reason anyone can possibly define or explain, the air conditioner was arctic. <laughs> and it was like 100 degrees today. It was not like it I happened to be. Not like I happened to pick a cooler day. It was really genuinely hot today. And I was turning it up. Middle of the hot day. It, it just came on. And it came on like worse like you would expect it so to the based on came all the discussion. Today. Yes. You would expect it to do based on the HVAC discussion of how wonderful it is. But yet it sometimes lets me down. And this morning it was like, well, actually, mid, it was midday. It was like, you want some air conditioning? I got it. Weird. <laughs> I don't get it. One of you is going to get that car. We actually are, honestly, we're probably at the most about two weeks away from informing the, you can't see my air quotes, winners who's getting that car. And we want to come back to, I, I, I want to address a side note thing. A few of you listening to this podcast, a few of you watching the YouTube channel have said, hey, I'd like to win those cars now because <laughs> right, you've seen right. the madness and said this would be cool. We, I want to be, be honorable to the people that stepped alongside us when we had this crazy slash stupid yes, idea. Absolutely. The initial idea was we set up a GoFundMe. Not because we really need help. We're, we're pretty blessed guys. But because we just said, all right, is this a thing? And everybody that contributed to the GoFundMe, more than 20 bucks, got an entry, if you will, to mm-hmm. win this on the back end. And many, many of you, there are, there are well over 500 entries. Are there really? Fantastic. So we're gonna, and some of those are double entries. People you know, submitted multiples sure. of $20 and sure. got, got more entries. But I want to I be legit to those people that stepped in up front. Absolutely. So unfortunately, that means that many of you that have said you really want to get in now, we're not going to allow you to get in now. And I know that's kind of a bummer. The good news is we have a, another cheap car challenge coming after this one. That's coming out in a couple of weeks as well. We're going to have this transition thing happening. And the way that's going to be done is a raffle at the end. So if you hear the story of those and you want them, that'll be a whole separate thing. But I'm excited to give these cars away and see who they go to and see what those people think. I 
just hoping they last longer than a month, longer mm. than a week. And people can get actually some enjoyment out of driving the cars they've seen for yes, almost a agreed. year yes. and seen us do all these crazy things with them. Mm-hmm. And they can enjoy them for a little bit until they catch fire and burn to the ground or yeah, just stop sure. working completely. Or I admit to still not having repaired the brake lights on the Maserati, but good news. You can drive it during the day. So that's <laughs> fine. Right. Well, but You were actually driving behind me at one point while I was driving the Phaeton and we went over a bump and you said, you're still dropping salt. They come off your car like chunks of white ceramic <laughs> and they shatter on the car behind you. They bounce on the I really like asphalt this. and then I they do. shatter on the car that you're in front of. So it's totally it's fantastic. Awesome. It's, what could it's possibly go wrong? Dropping the stalactites or whatever they are. Yes, you, I wish I, I, I was stupid because generally I document everything. <laughs> I was so flabbergasted by the way the salt had encrusted the front suspension when we first got back that I was too jaw dropped to take a photo. I should have taken a photo. It was the most magical thing I've ever seen. It was like one of those caves you pay money to go down into and go, Oh, look what's coming down from the ceiling on the underside of the suspension. Or you could have Todd's Phaeton. You could just take the Phaeton and they're be done. exactly yep. the same. It's the, it's the same. You could exactly. sell these shards in one of those rock crystal shop, like tchotchke <laughs> kinds you, of shops. Am I going to do the thing where you did? Did you want to win the Phaeton? Win a piece of salt off the Phaeton Here in a go. Ziploc bag and pay me some ridiculous amount. Here and, we yeah. go. Mm-hmm. I carved it. It looks kind of like an elephant out of my salt crystal. <laughs> yeah, that's what I need to do. I need to be carving salt that came off the Phaeton. <laughs> that's a good use of my time. Thank you guys for joining us again on the podcast. We have a very cool podcast coming up. We have another interview coming up with uh, Ed Gliss from Michelin and many, many questions too. Yeah, pretty awesome. You know how we talk tires so we much. Do, a few times. As a matter of fact, we've never actually had a real test driver who tests tires for a living, and that is Ed Gliss. He works for Michelin as a senior subjective test driver in Greenville, South Carolina at the Lawrence Proving Grounds, which is owned by Michelin. And it's his responsibility to do a lot of things. We're mm-hmm. not sure exactly mm-hmm. the the boundaries of his responsibilities. Yeah. We know he is an official spokesperson for Michelin, but he's also a tire tester. He's out there driving all kinds of different cars. We have a lot of questions for him, and we're calling him right now. Ed, are you there? I am. Hello, sir. Welcome. We're so excited to have you on. We talk about tires pretty much constantly to our audience, and we've never actually had a real tire shredder on the podcast. For sure. Chief tire shredder. For all those dinner parties that you always go to, when people say, so what do you do? Mm -hmm. What do you tell them? You bring up an interesting point. Uh, my wife also works at Michelin, and she has learned that she has to introduce herself first and tell them what she does because as soon as she tells them my background, that's uh, kind of a conversation stealer. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So essentially, I'm a subjective test driver for Michelin, and then it's my duty to, uh, you know, from the seat of the pants, uh, develop tires for our brand. Wow. Yeah, that's that's better than most people's discussions. I mean, this is this is the struggle that Paul and I have too is if you want to go to a to a gathering of people and you don't want to talk about cars, we don't have that opportunity because the yeah, minute we reveal what never. we do, we're just going to talk cars. Which is obviously we love it, but at the same time it's like there are other conversations going on, but now it's going to be all cars all the time. It's like the, you know, somebody finds out you're a chiropractor and you're like, "Ah, oh, my neck's been hurting yeah. like right back here. Oh, you're a chiropractor?" Huh, could you like just, you know, loosen me up a little bit? No, not for free. No. Ridiculous, ridiculous. So, okay, so so here's my first question. How on earth, Ed, do you wind up in that job? Bit of a crazy story. I mean, of course, it's a bit of right place at the right time. Um, but Michelin has a lot of protocols that kind of do the screening process for the physician. Uh, so initially, I started at Michelin in 2011 as a mold designer. Um, and so that was heavily computer-based using CAD. Uh, to design basically the exterior of a tire. And first of all, let me tell you, there's a ton of um, effort that goes into that more than just meets the eye, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, but just with how it how it's going to perform um, from a, a grip standpoint, noise, all those criteria are analyzed very closely and optimized. Um, but after about two years in that role, I realized that I was eager to get back more towards a hands-on application and then luckily there was a vacancy at our proving grounds in Lawrence, South Carolina, uh, to which I quickly applied for and uh, immediately started the interview process. And that's where kind of the uh, Michelin's thoroughness really takes place because it's not only a normal personnel interview uh, to see if you fit the bill, but also driving exercises. So oh, interesting. That was, uh, that was a good day. And, and you guys have a dedicated uh, track for all of this, correct? 
Yeah, we've got about a 3,500-acre facility, like I mentioned, in Lawrence, South Carolina, um, which is great because it gives us the privacy and, and seclusion for, for our own internal development, as well as hosting any uh, you know prototypes from external renters or our OE partners. Gotcha. So you can just you know do all the stuff you need to do in private and, uh, yeah, get on with it. I, I love it. Do you have standardized cars that you use most of the time to keep that variable out of the equation, or does that vary too? Uh, yeah, there's probably not just a succinct answer to that question, but uh, essentially we've got a fleet of vehicles that averages probably around 50, and oh, wow. it's meant to be a pretty wide swatch of, of the market. So there's some um, electric vehicles, there's uh, pickup trucks, four-door sedans, front-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive, you know, really the whole spectrum. And that's really helpful for us when we're developing tire lines um, for, for the market, so for the replacement market. Gotcha. And then, of course, when we're, when we're specifically dealing with an OE, um, the original equipment development, um, typically they'll supply the vehicles or we'll, we'll purchase them. Um, but, yeah, it'll be more of a targeted approach. Hmm. That was my thought there. Is, are all these vehicles Michelin-owned? Do you go buy the cars so you, just, you don't have to answer to anybody, essentially? You know, the manufacturers aren't just giving you cars and hoping you like it. And you're going, I, I don't care. I just, you know, want this particular car for the drivetrain. <laughs> You know, so we can launch the pickup truck 200 yards off the sand dune exactly. and test the landing capabilities, something like that, <laughs> so that you guys own all your cars and trucks. Yeah, I, I wish it was all jumping and playing in the sand, but uh, no, realistically, we do have cars that we prefer, and this for a couple of reasons, but when we do our subjective testing, uh, we prefer to do it with, with no driver aid, and so that's mm. without stability control, traction control, late avoidance, any of that stuff. Our goal is to maintain ABS, uh, but that may not always be possible. Hmm. But our reason for, for reducing the aid intervention is just so we can focus specifically on the tire's performance, whether that's for wet handling or dry handling, uh, max handling. Um, and we just like to try and focus. Also, ideally, we would use a manual transmission. And, uh-huh. um, you know, I think we could probably... We could probably talk for days about our preference for manual transmissions, but yeah. what it does is it reduces the variables yet again. So you don't have to worry about, well, the vehicle upshifted when I was actually asking for it to downshift, and mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. affected my lap time. Um, totally. Total control. Interesting. So I'm going to start saying, no driver aids, manual transmission, used by tire testers everywhere. That's going to be my new thing. I'm going to just start saying that randomly. Which, Ed, maybe this means you have to use older cars because, you know, our audience knows, we all know that manual transmissions are slowly disappearing from the market. So are some of these cars that you use, you, you want to turn everything off. You want to have cars that everything off, not the holes in the safety net got a little bit bigger, but it's still there kind of cradling yeah. you. No, it has to be off. So are we talking 80s cars then? Like everything, it's manual transmission, four-cylinder, <laughs> The mission the light-up stops at 1989. It's <laughs> terrible, yeah. I kid, I kid, but I'm curious. No, you're, you're actually onto something there. One of our favorite vehicles, which is in our max handling fleet, which is essentially, you know, a full racing suit, helmet, uh, on a racetrack that's doing the higher performance testing is uh, an E36 M3 lightweight. That is one of our prides and joys, and it's been it's been through a lot. It's it's uh, it's earned its place in the stable, having done development work for many tire lines for both the uh, Michelin and the Twidrich. That's fascinating. E36. I love it. This is interesting. This is more than twenty years old at this point. That's fascinating. But the dynamics we always talk about, Ed. If you have a car and the dynamics are good. It doesn't matter what decade it was built. Yeah. Dynamics yeah, yeah. are dynamics. And here you are proving the concept. Yeah. It's, uh, like I said, it's, it's one of our favorites to drive. It's, you know, I've been fortunate to, to do some testing with it, and it's, it's really cool because there's just over 100 that ever left the production lines, and we've got one here, and you know, it's, it's earned its keep, that's for sure. That's fascinating. All right, so favorite cars you don't want to give back, or you know, how often does the fleet turn over, essentially, because... New cars are always coming at us, as you know. Manufacturers are constantly throwing new cars at us with different hybrid powertrains, and they do different things, and they want you know customers to experience different things out of these cars. It's not always performance driving, which saddens us. Yeah, but, but that, reality, that is the, the fact. So, you know, are there is there a constant turnover of we've got here are the cars that aren't going away. That's that little fleet. And like then the here's M3, the cars yeah. like the M3. <laughs> and then here's some cars that, okay, you know, they can change out every five or so years, but then we need the latest fill in the blank car. 
Yeah, it's kind of a range. Um, so I guess just to back up slightly, there's basically two two groups of test drivers here at the facility. There's objective and subjective. Uh, and in a nutshell, the objective drivers use a computer, whether that's a, a lap, uh, not a lap timer, but um, like a data acquisition satellite to measure stopping distance in the wet, per mm, se. Mm, sure. Whereas I'll use a, a GPS lap timer to, to complement my ratings, but in the end, I'm rating tires on a 0 to 10 SAE subjective scale, where one tire might be a 6.5 and, and the next one's a 7 overall, but I'll go into each individual criteria and rate the differences and, and back that up with some, you know, describe the driving experience and what I discovered, whether that was changes in performance consistency, um, maybe the grip peak was higher, but it dropped off more abruptly, so it's mm. less progressive. And, you know, look, looking at all the criteria, uh, so, like I said, we, we have some cars that we're familiar with that still offer manual transmission, which is, uh, you know, somewhat limiting these days. But not only that, you have to think towards um, rim options. And mm, so mm, yeah. with the ever-increasing increasing brake size of vehicles these days, it's harder and harder to fit a 17-inch rim um, on, a, on a higher-performance vehicle. So that's why yeah. the lightweight is super versatile. Um, we've got a couple newer max handling cars in the fleet and the smallest that they can fit uh, from a rim size is 18 inch, which is definitely a popular size, but sometimes for other reasons, we're trying to develop something on the smaller spectrum. Sure. I yeah. think, uh, you know, a, a, an older Miata or something, an 18 inch tire on that's big. Yeah. Well, um, I actually own a Lotus Elise and it's staggered, but the front wheels are 16s. Mm-hmm. And the difficulty I oh, yeah. have finding tires for that car is immense because I want to get a high-performance tire, and a lot of them aren't made. A lot of them I can find the rears, but I can't find the fronts because the fronts are 16s. Right, yeah. And, and of course, I would recommend against mixing tires across the axle. Absolutely. So that doesn't make it any easier for you. Yeah, absolutely. But actually, now that I know you have a Lotus, that's uh, on one of my wish list cars. You got You should bring it out this way for me. <laughs> Is that an official invitation? <laughs> no pressure, but we're going to the brewing grounds. <laughs> no, we'd, we'd love to come experience that. And, uh, yeah, maybe we can shoot I, something. I also there. want to see the uh, the E36 M3 with 22s on it because we're trying to blend the world. Yeah. That, that, that's bound to happen for sure. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's an important market segment, E36s <laughs> with 22s. There you go. <laughs> okay, so this is, might be a touchy subject, and that is competitors. Does Michelin purchase tires? Do you acquire competitors' tires for benchmarking purposes? I ask because car companies buy each other's cars, and the engineering teams strip them down, and they either cry or laugh, depending on you know what they find. <laughs> yes, but you know, in the tire world, do you kind of do the same thing? Yeah, and you actually hit on an important area that kind of triggered me to really be interested in this job. So naturally, like you guys, I would classify classify myself as a car guy. Um, but but realistically, what the cars are for me when I'm at work anyways are a tool to help develop tires. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I don't get extremely involved in the tire purchasing process, but of course we are analyzing competitor tires. And I get a lot of satisfaction from being able to pick a, pick a, a segment. Um, but you get the five tire lines from different manufacturers and you get to drive them all back to back to back and, and find mm-hmm. the differences. A ton of satisfaction from being able to do that personally. So I'm finding the result and then a ton of satisfaction from coming out on top most times. And, uh, you know, that makes me proud. Just wondering about the proving grounds. Do you ever leave the proving grounds? Do you ever come to say Utah, for example, we've got (laughs) snow here. We've got great Canyon roads. We've got Moab for rock crawling and we've got salt flats. So, you know, we do have a variety. I'm just curious how much travel is involved with your job or is it none? Do you have everything you need? Is this a two-way invitation? It is, absolutely. Trade? Absolutely. Yes. Let's do that. Yes. Yeah, so again, another highlight of the job is is the international travel that I've experienced. So predominantly our testing is done at proving grounds, whether it's our own or, or off-site. But some of that is, yes, yeah, certainly climate-based. It's, I'm unable to do any winter testing here in uh, South Carolina. I'm actually responsible for winter testing um, from a North American standpoint, and uh, we do a, a fair amount of testing um, in Michigan. So we'll travel up there for pretty much the first five weeks of the year and do an extensive winter campaign. We have traveled to New Zealand, um, you know, on the off season. So basically wow. late July, Love early August. Love it. Um, 
and that basically doubles our chances of uh, or our opportunity to analyze winter performances just for our tire line build cycles. Because you know, when it's January, what you really want to hear from the boss is, "Let's go to Michigan." That's that's really the sentence you want, right there. Yeah, I can see the you know the Michelin tire guys driving through Middle Earth behind the camera. Of, you know, we're shooting here. Well, we're testing tires. Yes, get out well, of my way. They are reshooting there now, for sure. Yes. Yeah, I'm probably the perfect man for the job. I, I originated in Buffalo, New York, so I'm a transplant. To oh, okay. South Carolina, right. so the snow is beautiful news to me. Yeah, totally. I totally get it. Yeah, we have uh, – that is actually only bummer. The show started in Los Angeles and is now based in Park City, Utah. And by and large, it's amazing except for the fact that when it's the middle of January in L.A., it's still 65 degrees and you can go find a mountain road. Here, they're quite snowed in. <laughs> but that's okay. We have trade-offs that make it worth it. Ed, curious about Michelin Motorsports and your involvement there. I know, uh, you know you're part of IMSA there and also Formula E. Does your work translate? Does, is there a crossover? Are you focused more on you know, the consumer side of the business? Where do you stand? Where does your job kind of cross over? Or maybe it doesn't. So there, there's a bit of a mix. Michelin is obviously very passionate about motorsports. We're big on the track-to-street movement. We take everything we learn from the racing environment and apply it to all of our tire lines. I myself am not, uh, we call it a weekend warrior, um, but basically the people who kind of support our, our racing endeavors. My wife uh, was early on, and then several of the other drivers are active support members. Um, my wife included. She's been to Le Mans supporting, supporting the races. Um, Darn, I have to go to Le Mans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you can imagine what my wife and I talk about at dinner. It's all tires. Um, there, yeah. there we so, go uh, the rest of the neighborhood hasn't talked about tires once ever <laughs> and you guys are talking about tires every single night i think it's hysterical i'm curious also about your work for the future of michelin when i was at the frankfurt motor show back in 2017 i saw michelin hit introduce that vision tire concept and i i was fascinating with this thing you know also how does your work kind of influence where you guys are going, obviously, you know, I'm sure you can't tell us very much about the future and kind of what you're thinking about, but what else is on your minds from a future testing? I mean, you've got to have tires that you can sell to the public now and, you know, you guys do it at a high level. What what kind of uh, influence does your job have on future products like that? Yeah, certainly. Like you mentioned, it's kind of more near and, and long-term goals um, and having to predict where the market's headed, which right now seems to be heavily electrified. Uh, which has its trade-offs or challenges, I should say, by minimizing roller resistance and making a more efficient tire. Uh, like you mentioned, the Vision platform is kind of, uh, I think we described it as like our, our dream, which all encompasses efficiency um, and environmentally friendly and connected and communication with the vehicle. And, you know, bits and pieces of that we're already putting together now, and that's kind of the whole picture. Um, but, yeah, basically as a test driver, we have roles. Uh, we each have OEs that we're responsible for. Uh, we we support the replacement market, and so it's it's a wide variation of, of testing duties. Um, I mean, just to name some of our methods, we've got noise and comfort, dry handling, wet handling, dry autocross, wet autocross, and then mm. the holy grail, which is you know the max handling, where we have our, our race helmets on. Wow. Wow. Well, actually, that brings up a question I had, and that is, when a manufacturer comes to you, we always hear about this, the new whatever, let's go C8 Corvette, the new whatever's coming out, and it has a specific tire designed for that car. Who Pick your car. Porsche does it. Everybody does it. All right? But now you have a tire that was designed for a car. Are you guys always designing not only for that car, but thinking this is going to be a publicly available line for lots of stuff? Or are there tires that you're just going, nope, just for this car and this setup? But interesting you brought that up. So let's take the C8 specifically. Uh, Michelin's obviously proud to be working with that platform. And not only that, we're the first all-season tire to be homologated for the Corvette in its lifespan. So certainly proud of that. Um, the Pilot Sport All-Season 4, our latest ultra-high-performance all-season offering, is specifically tuned for that vehicle. Mm -hmm. And we can trace that down to the part number. And so obviously that tire line will have different tire sizes, mm. which will be could be more generic for, like you said, um, maybe you have a 245, 4018, and that could fit uh, a BMW, it could fit a Cadillac, or sure. a so it's a little bit more diversified. But certainly, and this is not just Michelin, any tire manufacturer, uh, when the uh, vehicle leaves the showroom floor on its, on its new tires, those have been designed specifically for the vehicle. And so there's all sorts of criteria that when Michelin sits down with 
let's say with Corvette, um, there's criteria and targets for that tire line. And there'll be a couple back and forth joint tests and tire submissions. And then eventually something gets, uh, you know, hits the targets and gets what we say homologated. And then that's the, you know, the final recipe for that tire line. And it'll support that vehicle through its, you know, sort of its lifespan. A very personal near and dear question to my heart. And that is the N0 designation on we're going my Porsche now, aren't we? We're now going Porsche. We are. We, we absolutely were bound are. to. Yeah, go on. Ed, I own a 2015 Cayman GTS. And I have the Michelin PS4s on them with the specific N0 designation told to me by my tire installer that, no, you need to pay a little bit more for the N0 designation. But it is a Porsche OEM requirement. What What is this N0? De- what does it do? Is it the carcass? Is it the tread? Is it the life? Is it the – what is it? I'm just – I'm I, dying to know. I'm also now seeing a shirt. I want you to answer it, but I'm now seeing a shirt that just says Porsche. Pay a little bit more. There's there's the shirt right there. Anyway, <laughs> that's been on. Porsche since the since oh, day course, one. Yeah, you can yes. spend thirty thousand dollars on accessories for the car, but just tires. That N zero designation and okay Porsche, but as it applies to other cars too, I'm I haven't had anybody be able to succinctly explain it to me. It's just sort of like, well, that's what Porsche says you should get. I'm like, okay, I'll get that. Uh, well, first, before I answer your question, just to clarify, are you bringing that Porsche to come out here too? Okay, so I guess there's a road trip involved. Road trip, yep. <laughs> the Cayman and the Elise are coming out there to South Carolina, <laughs> and uh, we have to bring our cars. So. We're going to make a meetup. It's, it's going to be a whole thing, <laughs> Fantastic. apparently. We just, we just stepped into a whole <laughs> event here with that. It's great. I love it. I love it. Uh, I mean, we've got the tail of the dragon out here and track. Why wouldn't you? That's true. You're not all wrong. Right. Well, okay. Well, look at uh, yet another thing we're all packing into 2021, apparently. Yeah. Exactly. You're exactly right. The dealership was exactly right. The N0 specification does uh, denote that that has been designed specifically for Porsche. Um, most manufacturers will have uh, something on the sidewall. Uh, Mercedes has one. Audi has one. Tesla has one. And that is to just to help make it a little bit more visual for, for you, the end user, to say, oh, yep, that's the correct tire for my car. It was designed specifically. And you, you touch on a great point. So we might offer other part numbers that are the, the correct size for your vehicle, but they haven't been designed for, a, you know, a rear-engined or a mid-engined or that particular split fitment, um, the tire pressures. And so there's there's a lot of puzzles that go into it. Um, and that's, uh, you know, it, it's true. Interesting. So you're working directly with all those manufacturers that you named for specific requirements, and I'm sure they change from manufacturer to manufacturer. Hey, we want to get this out of the car, and the customer wants to, you know, we want them to feel this kind of feeling when you're driving or experience this, you know, safety or tire comfort or a little bit less noise is our priority over performance, whereas other companies might be like, screw that. I don't care about tire noise. We just want max performance out of this thing or whatever. Are you just working individually, meeting individually with those companies then to, to satisfy their requirements? Yeah, it's down to literally, it could be down to the trim level. Uh, say, for example, wow. you've got uh, the base model and then the, the next step above. If, if the rim size changes or the tire line changes or engine size changes even, mm. um, there mm. could be different, different targets in mind. So, um, yes, yeah, for sure. Unfortunately, here in the U.S., we're predominantly with the domestic car manufacturers. So my personal experience with, with Porsche or Ferrari or Lamborghini remains limited just because our, our, our partners over in France, they do most of that development just due to geographic locations. Well, that actually brings up a thought I'm having as well, and that is, look, Paul and I, we don't talk tires as much as you and your wife, but we talk tires on this podcast <laughs> yeah, quite a bit. Say, we found so, people who talk tires more than exa- we do. It, it's, it's insane. Astounding. The, the number of people that have written to our podcast that have never thought about tires before rather than just, I have tires on my car, is a lot. So my question is, I think most people, and I, I've been here, I think most people, you buy a car, whether you buy it new or used, and whatever tires are on there currently, when they're worn out because they probably got bald, which is way past, but that's how most people shop tires. When they're worn out, you buy the exact same tire that was on there because most people don't actually think tires like we crazy people do. So my question for you is, what's like the number one thing that you feel like most people don't know about tires that you wish they did? How long do we have? Uh, Keep going, man. Go for it. Probably one of the main things is uh, how do you know how to properly inflate your tires? What is the proper inflation pressure? And I'm sure I'm speaking to the choir at this point, but inside the driver's door jam, there's a placard, and that gives you the, the proper inflation pressure for your vehicle. 
contrary to what you may think, it's not 44 psi, which is written on the side while you're tired. That's just the, the it's not 44 for everything. It's not. This says max. Imagine I'll just go to that. max. I I just I take max of all my medicines and max of all my right. coffee. Let's just take the tires just to max. Figure out what'll kill me and back it off a little bit. Yep. Yeah, I think of the last time you. Uh, took a, a business trip and hopped in the rental car and saw the TPMS sensors and they're all reading 44. So, yeah. you know, that, that's a tidbit that's just looking out for essentially if, if the tires are supposed to be inflated to 32 per, per the manufacturer's recommendation, do that. I spent lots of time choosing the best tire at that pressure for that vehicle. So why would you want to rob yourself of that experience? Um, of course, being overinflated isn't going to help your, your wear or your ride. But you touch on it, and that's something, again, that Michelin's very proud of, is our goal is to develop a tire that meets or exceeds the manufacturer's uh, specifications. But while doing so, we want to protect our own um, our brand equity. And so, like you said, the goal is if this is the first time you bought a new car and it came OE on Michelin's, we want your experience to be awesome and mm. so that you are mm, eager sure. to put on a new set of Michelin's forms. And that's not something that's, um, you know, across the, the whole That's market. very cool. No, that's that's interesting because we've actually had tire pressure questions before. So you've heard it officially from the man, Ed, right now. <laughs> yeah. You, you want to know? Look at the door jam. We've had many of you ask. And there's there's your guidance right there. Ed, before we let you go, I'm curious about wrecks and crashes with these cars due to the testing where you find the limits high or low. How many times do you have an off on the track? Or how many times, like, whoops, okay, that's our bottom limit for that tire (laughs) because you're going to wreck the car or roll it, (laughs) which Ed has done on behalf of everybody. So, you know, we know, (laughs) follow his recommendations for tire pressure. But how many times does that happen? You're like, whoops, you know, we wrecked a rim or we, you know, had an off on the track because, all right, so let's write that number down. And that's our. (laughs) That's the edge. That's officially the edge. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we call the edge of the performance envelope. Let's pull it back a smidge. Does that happen? How many times does that happen? Just curious. Fortunately, no, that's an extremely rare occurrence. Um, And just kind of circling back to how the start in this position is, like I mentioned, you have a driving assessment. So there's only seven subjective test drivers in North America. We've wow. got over 21,000 employees in North America. Just for perspective, it's a pretty elite group. Um, our tenure in the position is generally 10 years or more, which probably isn't a surprise based on, on our role. Um, yeah, yeah. But typically within Michelin, um, there's a lot more job fluctuation just uh, you know, to continuously challenge yourself and, and, and strive to, to grow. But once you start in the role, you really are doing driver training for the better part of a year. So the first three months is what we call basic car control, and that's essentially driving anything and everything on any tires you want on either of our wet uh, our wet skid pad or our wet handling course. So low mu, Um, and so that says a couple things. It uh, you know the low mu kind of keeps speed down a bit, but really teaches you what it's like to drift in a front wheel drive car or a Mm. rear wheel drive Mm. car. And so after you've gotten your sign offs, which there's measured targets. So, for example, we've got a half-mile polished concrete skid pad, um, wow. and you have to drift two consecutive laps in each direction in a real drive car as one of your sign-offs, just for perspective. Wow. And so not until you're at that point are you, uh, you know, do you get signed off and get to move on to the next level. And so then partnered with that, you've probably got between uh, three to six weeks of what we call design school. So that's learning the ins and outs of the tire. Um, tire design process, all the different performances. And the only reason that varies is just depending on which job you came from, um, mm, how intimate mm. your knowledge is of, of the whole process. After sure. that, you spend the better part of a month on each method. So like I mentioned, the noise, comfort, dry handling, uh, wet handling, etc. Realistically, it's the better part of the year before you're giving anything back to the company. And so the emphasis is on your training. Mm. So it's to the point where Physical car control is kind of second nature because we're thinking about impact harshness or, like I said, the, the grip peak, the progressivity, how responsive is the front axle even when you're experiencing understeer, how is the longitudinal traction, all of those mini criteria while driving at the limit. You know, we, we kind of do the homework beforehand and then we don't crash. 
So anybody can do this job is what you're saying. It's just we could just walk in off the street. I'm a good enough driver. What actually th- I think Give me happens. the keys. I can do this. What I think Ed is not telling us is that those seven all have a special shirt with their number on it, and they walk around the company with their number on it. Like, oh, right. you're one of the seven. <gasps> number five is here, everybody. Number five is coming today. The only challenge with that is we're in the middle of nowhere in South Carolina, so our jerseys uh, don't get to show them off very much. <laughs> but number seven's here today. Exactly. Seven and three are both in the cafeteria. It's crazy. Holy cow. Take your phone. Take their picture. No, we we would love to have you come out anytime. Bring a car you don't care about. So you know if you have a salt flat salt car, or, exactly. Yeah, you know even Moab. So you just whatever you're doing. You know if you want to bring a Jeep or a new Bronco or anything like that, we'd love to have you come out. Standing invite, and uh, of course we'd love to come see you guys anytime. And uh, Ed, thank you so much. Yeah. We really enjoyed learning. You are absolutely welcome back anytime because I know. The audience has many more questions. You being on the podcast, I'm sure, has generated even more questions For sure. of that course the audience has. wants Absolutely. us to ask you specifically and kind of get more into things. So really, could you just live stream your dinner conversation with your wife and then we can just learn? <laughs> it's a whole separate YouTube right. channel. It's going to be great. Right. Yeah, I think that sounds great. Next time I'm going to have a uh, – I'm going to expect a car suggestion from you guys. I'm about due to, to, to up uh, – to, to renew my car. Do it, man. Send us a car debate. We'll do it for sure. That'd be great. Yeah, well, see, we have to be careful because then he'll be like, well, we have that car in the fleet. I know what it does on these tires. I don't want that car. <laughs> well, but no, we'll make car recommendations, but not tire recommendations. Okay. We're going to say, get this True. Th- get this car. Whatever tire you think is right, Ed, go for it. Right, yes. right. Fantastic. <laughs> Ed, thank you so much for joining us. Well, really, really appreciate it. We loved having you on. Like I said, you're welcome back anytime. And uh, yeah, looking forward to more. Thank you so much. Great deal. Thanks, guys. I think my favorite part of that is the one of seven scenario. They're like the Avengers in Michelin. They're, 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 the, they're the tire guys. You've got to have special esprit de corps. They've I, got to give them special jackets or shirts hope, or something. I hope like, that somebody at Michelin that's, that's Ed's boss hears this and realizes that they need like, you know, they, they need a uniform. I don't know that it's. Yeah. Just, I don't know that they need capes because you know no capes. No capes. But at the same yeah. time, they need something. I think the one through seven thing needs to happen. That, that would be hysterical. Really cool. Well, thanks to Michelin. Thanks, Ed, for coming on the podcast. And we hope to get out to South Carolina. Of course, you're, you know, as we said, you're welcome in Utah. We'd love to have you, but we want to go out there and, yeah, maybe we need to bring our own cars or maybe we need to pick up some cars from somebody else and drive them out there. And, you know, we'll see. All of this sounds like good options. Any of that could be a very good day. <laughs> Driveshare is the coolest online car sharing platform you've ever heard of. It's simple. By connecting car owners with renters, Driveshare unlocks the joy of driving in some very special cars. That way, renters can find cars that bring out their driving joy in every moment, while owners earn extra cash to fund their passion. To sign up, cruise over to Driveshare.com or download their app for iOS and Android. That's Driveshare.com. We're longtime users and big believers in Griot's Garage car care products. That's because while many other brands are just rebranded versions of the same few products, Griot's Garage has developed, manufactured, and bottled bespoke car care since 1990. Griot's is also a family company based in Washington State, and they're dedicated to having the best products for every car and budget. In fact, Paul learned his crazy certified Paul-owned car care from Griot's. Now is the best time to tune up your car care routine. Foaming requires little to no work, and it also avoids some wash-induced scratches. It's the safest way to wash your ride. Try out the Griot's Garage Foaming System Complete Kit today and see what the foam is all about. Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed, and all liquid products are made right here in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EVERYDAY for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order. That's Griot's, G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Jumping into the questions, we've got so many. We're, we're mm-hmm. going to do our best here, but thank you guys for posting up on, on – uh, you saw some track footage. We had our yep. cars out for a private yep. track day, and we have to admit we're addicted to private track days. It was less cost and less people. It, it was, was kind of crazy. There were, there were, as a result, there's quite a few track questions. We'll ask, answer some of them. There's also some non-track questions. There's a lot of good stuff to cover here. Well, there was one from Ted Theologan who asks, as filmmakers, how much say do we get in the final version of subtitles that air on streaming services? It's my understanding we don't get a lot of sway over that. Well, I'm very curious. Did you? Uh, I'd kind of like you. Uh, by the way, party on, Ted. I, I'd, I'd kind of like you to respond and let me know what did you watch and did you see something weird? That feels like a question that's leading somewhere. So write us an email, everydaydrivertv at gmail. Let me know what you saw because we do create the subtitle uh, files. 
we're aware of those. Those are created by a service, and they come through us, and then they go on to like Amazon, for example. But um, that doesn't mean that they were run correctly. And then if you're talking about YouTube, YouTube actually automatically generates subtitles that are often laughably bad, and I have not taken the time sure. to check them. So I'd be curious to know what you saw, and then we can kind of get and, to the bottom of it. And where it was, yeah, for sure. precisely. All right. Mystic Negro also asks if we think the Everyday Driver brand could survive if either of us stepped away. It's an interesting question. That's a tough question. I hope so. I agree. He says, is it like the Oak Ridge Boys, where it will soldier on with no original members, or Kiss, where the founders plus some other folks forever? Wow. What's going to happen is we're just going to make a shirt. It's going to say Everyday Driver, just like the Oak Ridge Boys. That's what it really is. And there's going to be a lot of people going, huh? (laughs) That makes no sense to me. What are we talking about? My grandfather listened to Oak Ridge Boys. I remember that. That's really all I know about him. Well, the idea is yes. And that is the community that we're creating, and it is the community of you guys listening. It is like-minded people who are enthusiasts and really want to help us help other people because that's where the show started. We wanted you listening and everybody watching to get in a car you love to drive. We, We have proliferated our own driving skills and knowledge throughout the years, but it started just as, hey, you guys seem to know a little bit about cars. It's like you know when you work for a software company and you double click the competitive software. Instantly, you're the expert. Up, oh, you're the, the you competitive know how to open software it. expert. You double click the icon, so that means you, you're the expert. <laughs> You've seen the interface more than once, quite yeah. to that level. But it really started again. We wanted to help people go to dealerships and mm-hmm. you know say, let's think this through and you know have a third party to help you really understand and decide what you're getting into because it is a big purchase. And you guys on Discord, our patron founders yeah, and members. Yeah, yeah. Really, really appreciate all your support, and you guys have proliferated the brand, and what we found now is other fans of the show standing in line at a movie theater or somewhere just chatting, and suddenly Everyday Driver comes up, and you it's almost like a a fraternity of sorts. secret handshake kind of moment. It kind of is. It's very funny. You just suddenly go, okay, well, you appreciate cars at a certain level, and you already know you're a driving enthusiast, and all right, so what are you into? You into tracking? Can you drive? What do you like? What kind of cars do you like? And it just... Again, it's that like-minded people kind of community that we really appreciate. So thank you. So, yes. I would like to think that the brand can continue whether we're a part of it or not. I mean, I've joked about this before. I'd like to have guys that step alongside and become kind of the younger hosts at some point. And I'm, I, look, I'm still plenty young, but this isn't necessary, mind you. I say, this is but, out but, there, So sure. you can have a thing where you're watching something, you're like, oh, look, the old guys are in this. And here Paul and I are, you know, much grayer, much fatter, actually now talking about cars again. You're like, oh, good, the old guys are back. So, you know, that'd be cool to actually have happen while we still have other people that you like. But, I mean, I'll give you an example. We've had uh, writers step alongside us to help with the website, and that's an bunch of new voices, which has been cool, and you guys have embraced those. And then, of course, we have Nate that is a cycle report. Indeed. Yep. And he has a slightly different style than us, and he's done some really good stuff as well. So we hope that that continues over time. But Paul and I have got so much to do yet we that do. we're just we're going to keep cranking out at it, which Tell we really, you, really love. Yeah. Paul Newman didn't start driving till he was 48. I know, it's crazy. And then in his 50s and 60s, he was wiping the track with all the up-and-coming well, guys, and then be like, sure, welcome. It's like Larry Bird. Rook? I'm going to dribble around you, step back behind the three-pointer, and drain it, and there's not a thing you can do about it. And then he would. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. So I'm going to go to a question on Twitter from Akram Nickel. We've actually seen him a few times in Germany. He's a longtime fan, so how are you, man? Akram says that every time he and his family get in their Fiesta ST, his four-year-old demands that they listen to Paul and Todd. You're kidding me. What's funny about this is that his four-year-old son – doesn't understand English. No way. Can't understand what we're saying, but apparently something about our voices and the connection to the car, he wants to listen to Paul and Todd when they're driving the Fiesta ST. I love this. I love this even more because it's just tonal. I'll tell you an interesting <laughs> right, story, right. a random story about this. When my son was maybe two, okay, so not very old. He's talking, but, but not understanding a lot of things. He would love listening to Jim Gaffigan. Okay, yeah, now, right, think about right, this right. for a second. I learned something about comedy while watching this happen. I learned something about stand-ups because he wouldn't understand most of the words, but he would always laugh at the right moment, which made mm-hmm. me realize that what was happening there, and I think that you're, you're experiencing this as well, Occam. what my son was responding to is cadence and tone. 
And that was making him laugh. And it made me realize that good comedians get so much across with just cadence and tone that is almost as important or more important than the words they're saying. I love that somehow your son doesn't know what we're saying, but it associates with the Fiesta ST. I love that. Mm, That's great. All right. Garage Heroes in Training asks, where's the sweet spot for horsepower and torque for street driving enjoyment? Mm. If possible, what car best demonstrates this? I have to admit, on track, I wished for more torque out of the corners, out of that Cayman. Hmm. It's got 340 horsepower in the GTS. It makes it all at the high end. I mean, it's an engine designed to kind of stay up at the high end. It's not a torque monster, but the newer 718s with the turbo, I have to admit, is really tempting because I wanted that shove out of the corner. I, I kind of wished for that. And then at the top end, it's plenty fast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I admitted to wanting more than 340. I, I, this is a tough question because it's not just a numbers game. It's not just a this number works. It's number and chassis and especially the number related to the weight. And I come back true. to the Elise yes. at 190 horsepower, which, which let's be honest, by any normal enthusiast metric on the Internet, 190 horsepower. I think this water bottle has 190 horsepower sitting here. But that 2,000-pound weight makes all kinds of difference. And then it has Mm -hmm. a different feel above the second cam, which is more aggressive. So so what's the the line here? I think you really have to be something where – and it's almost a car-by-car basis. When you put your foot in it and you just think, okay, that's solid, it doesn't necessarily have to be like you're wowed. I think once you get into wowed territory, you probably have too much horsepower to actually use in most situations. But if you put your foot in it, just it responds in kind to what you expected. You've hit the the threshold there, and that's the problem with the 86 chassis is if you're in the middle of the power band or or the non-power band, between three and 5,000 RPM, when you put your foot in it, the average person of any level of driving experience is going to be like, shouldn't this be faster? Okay. Shouldn't the salmon have some flavor? Shouldn't but, come on. But you but you do that now in the current updated engine, Miata N D. Yeah. The original yeah. N D. Same problem as the FRS. You're like, shouldn't this have more? You do it in the in the updated N D, you're like, yeah, this feels about right. It's still not a powerful car. No, but I did handsprings. I know you did. I'm I was aware happy of that. with that. But you also, I feel like over time, if we went back over the last five or ten years, you have become more and more obsessed with that torque fill that turbo does. Mm-hmm. And I just like that build. I just, I need the torque. I need yeah. it right now. It's yeah. just got to hit me in the back. So, all right. Gary, the cycling nerd, is asking if it's okay to go to a worse quote unquote car. He has an NB Miata and he loves it, but he kind of wants something like a Mustang. Or something with some like engine attitude, which is clearly not the NB Miata. He's sitting here thinking, wait a minute, the NB Miata is great to drive from a handling perspective. If I step into something just for kind of the attitude and the and the power, am I going the wrong way? Gary, I say no, because you're talking about new experience. And the car that you have, you're ask, actually asking if that NB Miata is a cul-de-sac car for you or like the pinnacle car you're not going to get rid of. They made a lot of them. Okay, they made a lot of Miatas, period. Mm -hmm. I think, Gary, if you're at this place, what I think you do is definitely get something very different than your Miata that is still an enthusiast car. That could be that Mustang. It could be a Z car. You also brought that up. You could get an old Corvette. I would recommend you add an old Corvette to that list or maybe a Camaro SS with like the 1LE pack. Get something that has power and attitude, the two things the Miata doesn't have, but it's also probably going to be almost twice the weight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's still going to be very fast, very trackable, probably handle pretty well if you shop well for the thing you get. That'll give you such a different experience. Let's say in six months or a year, I'm good. I'm good. I've had that. I'm good. Now get a different kind of Miata. Don't get another NB. If you feel like the Miata is what I want, now get a different kind of Miata. This is an opportunity, I think, for you to have a complete kind of enthusiast car reset to another legitimate enthusiast. You're not going to buy a boring family sedan or a minivan. Get a genuine reset of your enthusiast car experience and go, what do I like or not like? What's my takeaway? Sure, sure. I get that. All right. Day Imea is dailing a BRZ and has never gone to the track or done autocross for fear of wearing through all of the consumables Mm -hmm. in a day and then, of course, being left with a less than reliable daily. How do you get out of your own head and just get on track? My suggestion, first of all, is to... Kind of try autocross and focus on that to begin with because the big track sustained sessions on track, depending on the track and Mm -hmm. depending on the day, can really start to wear on consumables. Whereas autocross, you're doing, in many cases, less than a minute. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you start to search some autocross forums, you might be able to come across people selling 
extra wheels, but possibly, especially for your car, maybe saying, you know what, I'm changing tires or I didn't like these tires or, mm-hmm. you know, slightly used, that kind of thing. You could even, you know, people are selling slightly used tires just as a way to have a second set. Mm-hmm. Just like we approach wintertime yeah, and true. we've got a second yeah. set of wheels and tires in many cases, how about you have that mindset? So you're going to have to set a bit of money aside, maybe just kind of save up for it and then acquire a second set of wheels and tires. So you know that, you know, this is just for track use. So if I damage a tire for any reason, if I, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. whatever happens, you know what? I can put my daily set back on and still get to sure. work. I can still drive the car. And I don't think from a liability standpoint, that car is going to let you down. I don't have any fears yeah. about that whatsoever. I'm not worried about it either. I think there's a couple things here. I, I love what Paul's saying. And I, I completely agree. I think there's a, there's a middle step for tracking though. If you've never been on track before in your car, I think there's very little chance with your BRZ you're going to blow through things on day one because you're yeah, probably not true. going to be nearly aggressive enough to do so. Now, Paul posted that picture of his tires. They were done. Keep in mind, yes, keep yes. in mind, Paul knew that this track day was going to be the end of the life of those tires. Indeed, he yes. kind of went out there knowing this is the end. I was kind of hunting for the end. So, so that's different. It. It's not just – I'll give you the flip side. I had my brand new Yokohamas on there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they got track wear. Track wear looks really scary because you get bubbles and you get the marbles and it looks like you've blown through your tire. You drive them for 100 miles after the track day and they clean themselves back off and they've yeah. got all that grip left because you can see you haven't worn that much. You just wore them aggressively. Yeah. yeah. So if you have tires with good tread left on them and you haven't tracked a lot before, I don't think you're going to be aggressive enough on day one to wear through tires or brakes. If sure, you become a person sure. that tracks regularly, get ready to just set money aside to consume things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like day yeah. one, just go out and try it. Sure, especially if you, you're right. If you haven't been on track and you're just kind of trying things out and you feel like, okay, I'm faster than that corner I ever thought I could be. And oh, that was interesting feeling. And you're just getting used to car dynamics. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're never going to be just chewing through tires. You're not standing the you know, car on a tire in particular. <laughs> you you were trying hard I've, to be done with those tires. You, you, you knew that there was one day left in them and it was like, well, then let's make it count. Yeah, I, honestly, well. I was happy with those tires. Yeah. I got them in 2018, a yeah. couple track days that year, then mm-hmm. two or three last year, yeah. in addition to a lot of canyon driving. Yeah, totally. They and then had this track day that was 95 degrees at altitude. The track surface probably was that or hotter. Big time, yeah. And... Fine. They did great and sustained sessions with yeah. new brakes. I had new brakes on there. Very pleased with that. So I was yeah. really you, <laughs> trying to set the pads. You were it using worked. the brakes that were new on the tires that were not. Uh, Van Boozler asked a question about, okay, how does somebody know if they could live with a more compromised car? Could, can I go from a normal car to a Miata or an S2000 or even a Lotus Elise, something that is significantly more compromised? How do I know I can do that with my life? other than trying to rent one for a lot of money on Turo for like a week. I think you need to take a solid look at the way you use your car. Some people just collect stuff in their car. They just always are carrying lots of stuff. I'll be honest. I don't understand it, but it happens. Mm -hmm. Are you a person that just you go to your car with your cup of coffee and your phone and that's it? And you leave your car and you take your cup of coffee and your phone with you? You could get any car you wanted. Do you take a small gym bag places? That's probably any car too. Figure out what goes with you in your car. Sure. And if that can fit in something small, great. How often are you hauling big things, having to take kids? If this isn't your life, go get a small car. There's, you're not, because I think the thing that's going to make you not like it is it won't do something you have to do regularly. Oh, sure. And if you can solve that, if you go, oh, small car could do all of that. It doesn't mean it wouldn't have compromises. This air conditioning isn't as good in stop and go traffic. I can't see around the big truck. That's just you own a small fun car now, but it's fun. But if it's I physically can't do this thing, then my car is supposed to get me there. Now it's not going to work for you. Sure, I see that. Uh, Drew V is asking about the best gateway drug out the driver's car. Sorry. <laughs> different the show. I Totally different show. Yeah. I didn't see that. Just kidding. All right. He says cars that you can get non-enthusiasts to consider that are surprisingly engaging and fun. Well, Drew, it really is the usual suspects that we talk about all the time. And that is cars you think, you know, small light. How come it's not a Corvette Z06? Because mm-hmm. everybody associates a lot of power. Well, that's going to be awesome on track. No, it's going to be very scary and intimidating. <laughs> yes, exactly. You're going to be freaked out of your tree mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. 
don't ding the car, don't have an off, don't, well, anything you do, well, that's going to cost you an arm and a leg. Mm -hmm. The best kinds of cars are the usual suspects because they're cheap and they're Mm -hmm. easy to work on and parts, they're not that expensive. Tires aren't too expensive. And I say that owning the Cayman where tires are going to be expensive for that thing. They're 20 inch wheels and I knew that going in and I'm feeling it now because is this a track specific question or just in general? Not necessarily. Okay. It's just in general. And we're not talking necessarily about track, but yeah, just yeah, yeah. all those cars in general, just to get mm. into them, the yeah, purchase sure. price oh, alone. Totally. And then they are, you're right. They are very intimidating. I would say uh, good hot hatchbacks. I'll go one real quick. A mini Cooper. That's a great one. Okay. Yeah. That's a car that is accessible and interesting enough that non-car people might buy a mini because they think it looks cool. It looks cute. Oh, I can accessorize it like this, but yet hiding in there is worthwhile dynamics. So now you can bridge the gap between you bought it because you liked it for non-car reasons, and now it's decent to drive. Another one in that category, not as good to drive, but but really solid, is the Mazda 3 mm-hmm. in any form is very good. The current Corolla in some tr- upper trim, more enthusiast trims, is genuinely good to drive, and you bought a Corolla. You just – a non-enthusiast would just buy a Corolla. They sure, could actually get sure. a six-speed and enjoy it there. Those are some some ones I can think of right off the top of my head. You've got to think about what the total dynamics is of the car and then where does it connect with the fact that it's just interesting of its own right. People might buy a Miata for this. They might buy a Fiat 500 Abarth for this. A lot of the usual suspects you're bringing up, Paul. I don't think non-enthusiasts buy something like a Fiesta ST, though. I think True. it's too far. True, agree. But at the Agreed. same time, there's these middle ground kind of hatches that work real well. Speaking of hatches, David E. asks, for someone used to a GTI, do we think a Veloster N would eventually wear thin? Thinking of swapping to a daily with a little more attitude. Although I do not associate (laughs) either of those cars with the word attitude. I associate Dodge Challengers and Charger Hellcats with attitude. But the Veloster has a lot more than the GTI. Certainly. I will say that. Certainly. But you don't – cars with attitude, you drive – you cruise. You're you're not Sometimes, out there. Doing, yeah, okay. You cruise. You're not. Yeah. You're doing burnouts. You're you're throwing attitude. It's not. I'm trying to you know leave everybody alone and get off in my favorite canyon road all by <laughs> myself. To me, that is an attitude. That's just driving fun. Sure. You know what I mean. It is a more aggressive car across the board. The it very much is. And I I don't think it would wear thin. If you want a better compromise than either of those, how about a Civic Type R? That is a better compromise. I do agree with that. Got one from Sharif here, another track question. Uh, Actually, I'm going to combine two track questions really quickly, asking specifically about track days. Sharif asked me if I ran the soft top on the Elise on this track day. I have never run it with the soft top before this track day. This was a total test for me. I was allowed to on this track day, so I did. And the reason I did is because the soft top gives me, this is hysterical to even think about, it gives me a quarter to a half inch more headroom because the soft top is so low profile. Because your head, was your head straight up and down? I could, I could force it to be. You could. I okay. could like shove myself back like and get the helmet settled. Stretching the fabric you know or something? I mean? No, I could just uh, – it's, it's just high enough that with because I need it for the helmet. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. If I sit in the car without a helmet on and with the hard top on, my head doesn't touch. But the minute I put my helmet on, it really touches. The soft top gives me that extra little give that I was more comfortable with the soft top, but I would drive it either way. The other question, and I'm not going to go too far on this, but David Diaz asked about track day coverage. He wants us to do a track day video. First off, David, we're going to in the next six months to a year, we're going to do when we have it on the schedule for something. We got to get the cars for it. It's a longer thing we'll discuss later. But he's saying, what do you do? The short version is find a group that's tracking locally that takes newbies. That's the first thing to worry about. And that could be your local BMW club. It could be your local whatever car club. It could be NASA or SCCA or whatever. They will have their own separate regulations, so that you'll have to navigate yourself. But the short version is get your get extra stuff out of your car, get it fueled and, and taken care of so it's had recent service. You know the oil's good. You know the car is running well. Sure, Nothing sure. lingering. Oh, that leaks. No, no, no. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Take your car that's running well. You're going to sign a bunch of forms. And you're probably going to have an instructor sit with you, and you're going to go to a driver's meeting where they're going to explain the ins and outs. Just be open at all of those steps. That's the biggest thing about going to your first track day is just go and admit at every turn. I'm a newbie. What do I need to know? And that and is people okay. will inform you. Yes, absolutely. Isa Bryan is really thinking about taking a dive into a world he knows nothing about, Aston Martin and Porsche. <laughs> Specifically, a used V8 Vantage from 2008 and a used Porsche Panamera 2012 to 2014. Since don't don't much about either, what are the pros and cons, or are they just money pits? The 
best place you can get an initial sampling and just a quick overview are forums mm. for both those mm-hmm. cars. And you can get an idea. Is it just people are modding their cars and they're wanting to do improvements and everybody wants to pitch in money for a light kit? And is it kind of <laughs> that? Or is it, guys, this other problem reappeared and the thread is five pages long with everybody else chiming in going, yeah, me too. That thing yeah. Whatever that is, broke. You can get a quick overview, a quick sampling of those particular model gears just by reading the threads. Just scan the threads. And again, is it just mods? Is it, hey, what mm. tires did you buy? Hey, I polished my car this weekend too. That's welcome to forums. Yeah. But past that, is it, oh, I got to replace the name, the expensive part again. And then everybody else going, me totally. too, me too, me too. Every forum has a known issues thread. Where they're just like, these cars have these problems. And that also can help you on the flip side if you're shopping Mm -hmm. to look Mm -hmm. to see if that car, A, has the known problem or B, has had it solved already. Welcome to the Porsche IMS bearing. I personally would, with the exception of the upper engines, would feel more confident in the Panamera than I would in the Aston Martin. But both of them, the issue is going to be when it breaks, it costs a lot. Yeah. yeah, I think the based on what I've seen of older vantages, the interior doesn't hold up as well as it would in the Panamera, and I think it's going to be it's going to have more surprises. Whereas the Panamera is not going to surprise you. Again, the upper engine, like the turbos, grenaded themselves sometimes, but below yeah. that, the lower engines, I think it's just going to run, but it's going to need consistent maintenance on the maintenance intervals and those are going to be expensive right right agreed guys so many questions we've got to got to run but thank you so much for the support the questions so much more coming your way and the cheap car challenge is imminent we're very excited to share there's another we're one excited coming. to mm, give away these big sedans yes to Fo- make voice to, to, to make the change sedans out new ones in it's all <laughs> happening one last reminder to go to everydaydriver.com Go to the YouTube tab and help us out. Click subscribe on the new Test Drive channel. We have got a great schedule of cars coming, and many in there will be populated, and we're looking at now hourly views. But what's cool is all the ones that are in the queue are going to start appearing on that new Test Drive channel. So there is previous content that we've moved over, but there is more new content coming. So use that as a shopping September is going to be a lot of new stuff. It's going to be very cool. Guys, thank you so much, and looking forward to next time. As always, cheers, everyone.